We live right now in a culture that is enraged about many different things all at the same time. And there are challenges here. In this culture, there are challenges. These times can be turbulent. Yes, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. So when we see turbulent times, we say Jesus is right. He's always right. But we don't have to become like those times to imitate them. We don't have to become turbulent people. We're called to live as those who have biblical sense. Discernment. The peace and joy of knowing God. Living for a kingdom that's not of this world and will outlast all authorities in this world. The book of Proverbs is a book for every generation. And, well, that means it's a book for the era in which we live. It's for us. We need the God of heaven to bring a steadiness to our souls. There may be more turbulent things to come. So we need his hand to give us a peace that transcends social media and that transcends cable news and that transcends whatever the latest dire and urgent thing demanding your constant attention. And there are a lot of those, right? Supposedly. We need some focus. So we need to be a people who are going to take a deep breath, open our Bibles, and read and pray and rejoice that God will not fail. And we'll rejoice and take heart that Christ lives. We are those who confess Jesus has been raised from the dead and is Lord of heaven and earth. We proclaim that there's only one kingdom that will last forever. And it's the kingdom of the Son of Man who will return to judge the living and the dead. He is Lord of every nation. And they will all be gathered before him as he returns with great glory and the glory of his angels. So we need some focus. We need to ask ourselves, what sort of people are we going to be and seeking to be? What will be our convictions and resolves? We must be those who are deliberate. That's what the wise do. They're not easily taken to and fro across the winds of the culture. Many different things concern the culture. Many different priorities compete for your allegiance. But the wise are those who step back and say, what does the word say? What does the word prioritize for my life? What will the wise deliberately seek to do? We need some focus. We need to be those who bring all of our life to the Lord in prayer and openness and say, oh God, Will you renew and revive my heart? Will you sustain and increase my faith? We need to pray that because we need to be vessels of light and salt and righteousness to a world in need of good news. We are the good news people. We are the good news people. We proclaim Jesus as Lord. So the Lord will use the teaching of Proverbs to help us here. The passage this morning is Solomon contrasting things with the wise and the fool and the righteous and the wicked. He will especially focus on 
the words we have and the impact of our words. Proverbs speaks about many areas of life, which means we don't get to section off areas of our life and say, this is for me and I call the shots here, Lord. No, Proverbs is Solomon saying to us, we bring all of our life to the Lord and say, Lord, I do not know what is best in all the areas of my life. I need your word with your people helping me. And our words, our speech, our mouths are addressed in most of the verses in verses 6 to 14. I suggested to you last week, you can take clusters and chunks of verses from chapter 10 to group them. We're doing that this morning. Four different parts to the passage. The first part is in verses 6 and 7, which speaks about the impact of the righteous and the wicked. The impact of the righteous and the wicked. Verses 6 and 7 say, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. These two verses are connected, held together, by the language of righteous and wicked. That appears in verses 6 and 7. Also, the catchword blessing, beginning in verse 6 and also in verse 7, the word blessing. This is about the impact of the righteous and the wicked. The opening line about blessings on the head of someone is a life that prompts the response of someone offering blessings in prayer upon the head of the wise. This is an Old Testament practice. When you read Proverbs 10.6 about blessings are on the head of the righteous, that would recall passages like Genesis 48, where Jacob is blessing his sons. Uh, blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, in fact, among his sons in chapter 49 as well. And one of the things you see the patriarch doing is laying hands on the head to pray a blessing over. That, that the Lord would ensure the future of, flourishing of, and peace of the life of the one on whose head the hands are. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. This, dis- this is to say there are those who are prompted to pray for and ask for God's blessing and peace and presence upon the righteous. Something has impacted them and has moved them to pray. And so God blesses the righteous through the prayers of others. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. Blessings would include the knowledge of God, the peace and joy of knowing God, the sweetness of walking in fellowship and obedience to God, the impact and influence of the righteous upon those who need to know God. All of those things and more would characterize the kind of thing we would pray upon the righteous. Blessings then are on their head. Because of the relationship and dynamics that characterize the righteous with others. Others are prompted to pray for God's blessing. But the relationships between the wicked and others are not positive. The end of verse 6 gives you the contrast. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So while others may be using their mouths to pray for blessing, the wicked are using their own mouths for nefarious, sinister activity. The wicked... The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. This should disturb us. What does this mean here? Jesus teaches in Matthew 15, 18, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if the mouth of the wicked is concealing violence, then the wicked is expressing here what's within their heart. And it is an antagonism and a hostility toward their neighbor. To conceal violence could mean a couple things. 
It could mean secretly planning to harm others. So that you have this suggestion of violence or harm or assault, and yet it's being concealed or kept secret. There are plans or some sort of uh, plot that is kept secret. Or it could mean an act has been committed and it's being covered up. That the mouth of the wicked conceals or tries to hide, maybe through deception, manipulation. But the wicked, here is what's clear, is not after justice. The wicked is distorting justice. The wicked person is concealing and harming the truth and harming neighbor. One of the major differences in Proverbs between the righteous and the wicked is their heart toward their neighbor. The righteous, the impact of the righteous would prompt prayers of blessing to God upon the head of the righteous. But the wicked is hostile in their heart and hateful toward their neighbor. The wicked does not show proper love to neighbor. The impact of the righteous upon others is continued in verse 7 with the lasting impact they would have. In verse 7, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. That's a graphic depiction. Thinking about a body that is no longer living. Thinking about the decay and deterioration that happens toward we who come from the dust and to dust return. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The beginning of verse 7 is talking about how the impact of the righteous leaves an impression on and an example for others that is inspiring and moving, and people are glad to recall the righteous. Not just the cloud of witnesses in the word of God, but people who you and I know who walk with God and who lived a life of faithfulness to Christ, who loved the Lord and loved others. And when we think about their memory, we are encouraged by their devotion to Christ because the memory of the righteous is a blessing to us. But to recall the wicked and to ponder those who lived as fools against the glory of God, who devoted their hearts to what was not pleasing to God, And their commitment to unrighteousness was a hindrance and a harm to others. Well, their name does not bring blessing to mind, does it? The name of the wicked here is associated with rot. That their reputation is not held honorably. And you and I are always making impressions on and setting some sort of understanding toward others about what is important to us and whom we worship. May our lives and reputations Bring honor to Christ that even beyond our earthly lives, there will be an impact in those around us who knew us well, who would know their memory is a blessing to us. May we not be like the wicked who loved not the Lord and whose heart toward neighbor was not what it should be. That memory is a rot in the the, uh, minds of those who recall the wicked. Verses 8 through 10 is the next section that speak of another contrast. Here, righteous and wicked are replaced with wise and fool. But let's be clear. In Proverbs, these are synonyms for the righteous and the wicked. The wise is the righteous one. The fool is the wicked one. So while he's going to shift the nouns of what he's speaking about, same referent. The righteous are the wise And the wicked are the fool. In verses 8 through 10, this is about the path of security or ruin. The path of security or ruin, depending on whether you're the wise or the fool. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. 
The heart in the Bible is the seat or center of your emotions and thought life, the control center. This is what the Bible depicts your heart to be. So we're thinking about a metaphor, not not your actual heart uh, inside your chest. We're thinking about the center of who you are. And this says that those who are wise of heart will receive commandments. These are not subjective advisory opinions, commands that someone may give you who doesn't know the Lord. These are the commandments of the word of God. This is the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, instructing his son and all of his readers, by extension, you and me. We are, we are those addressed by Solomon and he is immersed in the Old Testament commandments and wisdom and counsel for his family and for his kingdom. Solomon, in other words, has commandments that are coming from God. This is not from the subjective musings of man. This is divinely revealed instruction on about, about what would matter to our lives, revealing the heinousness of sin and the goodness and desirability of wisdom. The wise of heart will receive commandments. What do the wise want? The wise want what is good and true. That's what the wise want. It is no more authoritatively and certainly found than in the word of God. So what will the wise want? The wise want to know what God says for our hearts that we might walk in wisdom and righteousness. They believe God's word is true and good. They believe his word helps us grow wise to navigate life. So they listen and they learn and they reflect and they process and they grow and they apply what wisdom is found with living under the authority of God's word with an open spirit knowing we are in process people we're growing we're dynamic people in that way malleable and shapeable and while we are influenced by all sorts of things potentially in the world around us nothing is to have a more decisive influence than the word of God with God's people That helps us grow wise. The wise of heart will receive commandments. Chapter 1-5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Chapter 9-9, give instruction to a wise man, he will still be wiser. This is to say the wise receiving commandments will grow even more in their wisdom. The babbling fool is the opposite. The reason it's not just called a fool here, but a babbling fool, is because this person is talking and not listening. So if the wise receive commandments in order to listen and learn and reflect, this is somebody who feels that they don't need instruction and guidance and counsel. What they have to say is more important. So the babbling fool is the opposite of the wise. The fool won't stop talking in order to listen and learn. He won't allow God's commandments to enter his ears because there's just a procession of words from his mouth. But what's the end of the fool? Is it so bad? A babbling fool will come to ruin. Well, yes, then in verse 8, this is the description of destruction and judgment. The righteous judgment of God before whom all fools will stand. Verse 9 is connected to verse 8. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. The heart that's receiving will be lived out in your walk. The walk is the outward manifestation of what's in your heart. 
The walk is the biblical metaphor for life. It's to say, in other words, whoever lives in integrity lives securely. This is an observation about those who live with openness and honesty before God and not deception. The security that's mentioned here doesn't mean the wise will have an easy life. The wise are not guaranteed an easy life. It means that the Lord is with the wise and they walk in a spiritual security that only belongs to those who know God. They walk in his peace and grace. They don't walk the path of destruction and instability, which is the path of the fool. So the wise walks in in, in security because he walks in integrity or because she walks in integrity. But what does integrity mean? Integrity means to be undivided. It means to be whole, to be upright. If I took a piece of fabric in front of you and and ripped it, I've compromised its integrity because the fabric is no longer intact or whole. To walk with integrity means your outside and inside match. You are seeking to walk as a whole person before God, not one way before others, but then inwardly a different way before the Lord. The Lord knows what is in the secret place. We would seek to walk to fool people to our own detriment, for God sees all and knows all. Walking with integrity means not claiming to know God and then walking in the darkness, professing to be wise but living in worldliness. That's a lack of integrity. That's a rending of life, a tearing of life, where there's no longer something that is an integrated life, the inside and the out, the heart and the conduct. Integrity has to do with living out your devotion to God with other people so that what's within and what's without match. You're pursuing a whole life, which means that in the Bible, wholeness and holiness go together. There is no seeking to be a whole person before God Without being holy, because God says, You are to be holy, for I, your Lord and God, am holy. We must explain and shape ideas about wholeness and living authentically before God with a holiness which ought to be our pursuit. We're called to turn from sin, for God is holy. We're called to live a life of righteousness, for God, our Maker, is righteous. We're to live set apart for his name because he has done by his own power and for his own glory what it requires to reconcile sinners to himself. And so now we have been bought by God for his glory and by his mercy. The fool is not stable. He who makes his ways crooked will be found out. So there is a security for those who walk in integrity. But there is not a stability and security before God with the wicked. Or the fool. He who makes his ways crooked will be found out. This is somebody who's seeking to live and is tolerating and deliberately arranging a disintegrated life. Seeking to deceive others and live with dishonesty and deception. The fool is not secure here. Their path has been made crooked and they've brought it about. They're fracturing their life and their relationships. And even if they think that for a long time or forever it will not be found out, the Bible promises that sin is never safe or ultimately secret. The fool is not stable. Deception destroys trust and credibility. Deception compromises the supposed integrity. 
Numbers 32.23 says, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. This is the promise of Solomon here in Proverbs 10.9. He who makes his ways crooked will be found out. The Lord knows. And I wonder if we really believe that. The Lord knows. Knows you better than you know yourself. Knows you inside and out. Though you may fool others, the Lord is no fool and will not be mocked. Oh, you may think you can mock the Lord, but your sin will find you out. He who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Better than to repent and turn from what is wicked and foolish. And cast ourselves upon the mercy and grace of the Lord who abounds in steadfast love and kindness. Let us turn to the Lord. Sin is never safe. And there's no such thing in the end as secret sin. The Lord knows all. Living with integrity then means bringing all the aspects of your life into submission of the word of God so that you might live as a whole person in holiness. I think verses 8 and 9 go well together as at the beginning of each of these verses. The wise of heart will receive commandments. And in verse 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. What can help us walk securely and with integrity? Well, then we need to receive the commandments of God. That, that's what will help us. In verse 8, receiving the commandments of God is what the wise do. And what will be the life that results from those who are putting the word in their heart and mind? Walking with integrity and seeking to bring all of life to bear for the glory of God and under his word. In verse 10, whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The reason verses 8 through 10 work together is because the end of verse 8 appears again at the end of verse 10. Do you notice that repeating phrase? Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Now, winking the eye can sometimes be something that's done with humor. The context here matters. This is a winking of the eye that's deceptive. This particular verse is talking about somebody who makes a statement, but then might wink at someone else, indicating you can't really trust what you just heard. They're winking the eye because they say one thing, but they mean or intend something else. This is a person with an agenda. This is, an, this is a person who does not intend to keep their word. They can't be trusted. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. Well, then this is, this is a, a natural implication out of not living honestly with neighbor. If we do not value the truth and we fail to live honestly with others, the wink of the eye or living with deception or manipulation will cause strife in those relationships. How could it not? We shouldn't be surprised at that. The wink of the eye causes trouble. Deception brings difficulty. And the deceiver, it says, a babbling fool will come to ruin. This means deception is a losing strategy. It might seem convenient. I'm not telling you there's not an appeal or an allure of deceiving and manipulating someone because you see a kind of immediate or temporary comfort or convenience there. I'm telling you, though, that in the word of God, deception is a strategy of failure. It's a strategy to wreck your own life. That's what deception and living without integrity will lead to. So let Solomon prompt us this day anew in our hearts to turn from any and all sin. And look to Christ with hope and faith in his promises. You don't want to come to ruin. You don't want to live as if your life will mock the Lord effectively and with success. Those who want to be wise will listen to counsel and guidance. One New Testament scholar puts it this way. If you're the kind of person who will never listen to others, 
thinking that you might be wrong, then you will never grow as a person and you will continually make the same mistakes. See, one of the ways we grow as other people, is we, as people uh, in the fear of the Lord, is we become aware by God's grace that we don't know all that we think we know. And that we actually need the word of God with the people of God to see what others see that we can't see. We can be really hard on other people. But the Lord knows our heart before God. And he knows us more accurately than we can read ourselves. And this should, this should bring about some humility in our hearts. For Jesus himself says, rather than focusing on the speck in your brother's eye, what about the protruding plank coming out of your face? I mean, this is one of these shocking images in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus wants us to recognize before the Lord, we are fully known and the Lord sees and knows us better than we knew ourselves. And the input and counsel of others can help us more than we realize. It would be good to sit before trusted friends who are wise and who know the Lord and say, what areas of my life do you see the Lord working in? And what areas of my life do you think I need to grow in? Are there sins or, or blatant acts of even unconscious Dishonor to the Lord or deliberate acts of disobedience that you see. How can I grow wise? You see, those are, those are conversations that require other people, as conversations typically do. And so I think the scholar is right. If you're the kind of person who never listens to others with the awareness that you may be wrong, then you will not grow as a person because you're so convinced of your way of thinking. Why would you not expect the same perpetual mistakes over and over again? Oh, the counsel of the wise can save us from so much grief. The counsel of those who know God and who love his word can save us from so much foolhardy, delusional paths. Oh, it can help us, friends. Solomon is right. For thousands of years, he's been right about this. Let's hear him anew this day. Verses 11 and 12 talk to, talk to us about the effects of our mouth. The mouth here is used as an image for our speech. The effects of our mouth, the effects of our speech. He goes back now from wise and fool to righteous and wicked. There's an alternating sequence. He started out with righteous and wicked, then wise and fool. Now back to righteous and wicked. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. In verse 11 here, the fountain of life was something that was needed in the ancient world really badly and consistently. If you lived in the ancient world, you didn't want polluted or poisoned water. You wanted living, flowing water. So that kind of discovery guaranteed flourishing for you, your family, and anybody else who had access to that living fountain. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. This means that we, as the wise, knowing Christ have words that are like flowing, living water to nourish the hearts of other people. One of the ways the Lord renews and revives his people is through the mouth of the wise. This is not to deny that ultimate nourishment and life and encouragement come from the Lord. It's to acknowledge that the Lord uses secondary means all the time to accomplish his ends. And so when we pray for people to be encouraged and revived in their spirit, we would not be surprised to know that the words of the wise were something the Lord used to do it. 
The words of the wise are like living water. They're life-giving and life-building. This means we need the words of the wise so that we would know life. The fountain of life is an image in Proverbs in a few places. Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. If you want the words of life from the word of God, then we need to be around the wise to be instructed. In verse chapter 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. So more than just the teaching of those who know God, a a right reverence for and worship of the one true God is life. Chapter 16, 22, good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it. Amen. Good sense is a fountain of life. He's not talking about street smarts. He's talking about somebody who knows God and that, that results in a kind of insight and godly intuitions about how this world works and how our life can be lived to the glory of God and wisely so. The words of the wise include encouragement, but not just that. Hear me carefully here. The words of the wise may also include correction and rebuke. And we don't always want that. In fact, we may never want that. It's hard to welcome correction and rebuke because we would like to do what we want to do. But that may, in fact, indicate how much we need to hear that word of correction if we find ourselves so initially opposed to it. Praise God for words of correction and rebuke. No doubt we could all share stories where someone came along because they cared about our soul and cared about our life and spoke words of correction for us and it made a huge difference because we didn't see before what they said. We might not have liked what we heard, but it made a big impact and saved us from a lot of grief. We may also be all able to share stories about when those words of correction came and we did not heed them. We thought we knew best and we brought greater grief and sorrow to our lives. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Ultimately, here, Jesus is the one with wisdom in his mouth for us. He is living water. He says to the woman at the well in John 4, if you knew who it was speaking to you, you would want all that I have to give this living water that you will never thirst again from. Jesus gives the life and wisdom we need. And Jesus, the head of his church, delights to give wisdom through his people in his church and his word. Connected to verse 11 is verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The hatred would be the side of the wicked or the foolish. The speaking with love to cover offenses would be the side of the wise or the righteous. The words of the wicked bring disarray to relationships. Hatred stirs up strife. The reason that hatred in the heart would lead to strife is because of something that then is flowed out and expressed. Maybe Words and conduct that are fitting with that kind of hostility inwardly. And hatred, what does it do? Does not make things better. Hatred stirs up strife. Things might have already been difficult. But then all of a sudden, it's stirred up even more. The wise do not respond to offense with more offense. That would be to live with a retribution mindset. Well, I know what I think this person deserves, and here it comes. You know, this is to dole out to someone else what we think would be, it would be our our intent and desire to pour upon them what would feel more satisfying to our heart with a retributive mindset. No, the wise don't want to do that. They recognize that the power of mercy and love transforms people. 
we will all have relationships where we have to deal with offenses. There's no such relationships that exist where you won't have to. So while sinners are in relationship to sinners, which is until Jesus comes, then this is a proverb for us, friends. Let's, let's bury it deep. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The wise know this because God has covered their offenses with his love. Oh, this is not just something that people do horizontally. This is an amazing imitation of how God has treated sinners by sending Jesus so that we wouldn't perish. He did not treat us as our sins deserved. He sent Jesus so that we would not perish, but have sins covered by love. Oh yes, the cross is the greatest demonstration of love covering sins. And our words need to be shaped by God's love that we have experienced and the love that he shows sinners in Christ. The wise need to be a safe place for the sinners to come with their brokenness and their offense and their repentance. Mercy and love transforms people. It changes them. It impacts them. Because deep down we get a sense of how unworthy of and undeserving we are Of one chance after another. And the mercy that God shows and that others extend. This doesn't mean the offense was okay. It doesn't mean it was justified. It doesn't mean the offense didn't matter. The question is though, what will we do and how will we respond to others when they do what is offensive to us? Here's an image for us to consider. Think of a fire that starts right here in front of the the podium. If I had a cup of gasoline and I threw gasoline on the fire hatred stirs up strife and whatever was already present would expand and be stirred up and get worse not better but if i had a blanket a large garment and i dove over it to cover up the oxygen and all of a sudden this fire couldn't breathe anymore and got snuffed out that's what love does love helps to cover over offenses this doesn't mean repentance isn't part of the discussion and apology is part of the discussion And dialogue and working through things. This is a broad statement here which has a lot of nuance and application that the word of God addresses elsewhere. This is though to put to our minds the power of treating others with love and kindness and mercy. 1 Peter 4.8 alludes to Proverbs 10.12. Peter says, above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. That's the idea of Proverbs 10, 12. I like that he says, keep loving one another earnestly. That sounds like it could be difficult at times. I think Peter knows this. Oh, friends, let's pray for God to give us an earnest love for one another. An earnest love. That's a persevering love. That's a love that recognizes it will come in contact with offense and difficulty. 1 Peter 4.8, keep loving one another earnestly. This means we can obey Proverbs 10.12 by extending forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Because as long as sinners are in relationships with sinners, we will wrong others and they will wrong us. Words of forgiveness can bring healing and peace. I think that's what Peter means and I think that's what Solomon means. That kind of word of love is a word of Affirmation and embrace and reconciliation. Hatred stirs up strife, perpetuates hurt. 
It treats meeting offense with more offense. Proverbs 10.12 wants us to go a different way. It wants us to meet offense with our wisdom, patience, forbearance, and love. You know what this means? As I'm even reading this, I see the difficulty of this when I know my own heart and my mind. And I think, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Help me in my home. Help me in my friendships and relationships with others. Lord, help me. Because this here is the kind of thing that is not natural to us, perhaps in the way we wish it was. That in this sinful world, this could be a very difficult set of instructions and wisdom. But if we trust that God's word is true and desirable for living out in its beauty and goodness, then Lord, help us to believe that, hold to that, internalize that, and live that out. The last instruction is the difference between the lips of the wise and fool. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool brings ruin near. Notice in in verses 11 and 12, he had talked about the righteous and the wicked. Now he's back to the wisdom, the, the wise and the fool. He's alternating over and over. In verses 13 and 14, on the lips of him who has understanding, this is about the wise. Him who has understanding. That's a phrase talking about someone who knows God and the fear of the Lord. They know God. And on the lips of someone who has understanding, how else would we describe their lips? Except if they're wise, what would come from their lips is wisdom. I think Solomon is making just a blanket observation here. On the lips of the wise, what would we expect to find? Wisdom. What you, what you would expect is what you would get. The outward speech, in other words, confirms the heart, the inner wisdom. The lips of a person, that's a metaphor for words. What comes from their mouth, that says a lot about whether they're wise or whether they're foolish. And we can add that more than just conversation because we have social media and internet access. And so we can think about things that we post and things that we share. We can think about how this could suggest to others whether we are wise or whether we are fools. The lips of him, or even out the fingertips through all of the texting and social media access that technology affords. We may may need to have greater trepidation and discernment and care because of how much greater and faster damage can be done in relationships and in scores of uh, places and times because of the advent of social media. So if, if somebody were to say, Solomon, would you weigh in on social media in 2020? What would you have to say? I think he'd say, I need you to look in Proverbs 10. There's some things in Proverbs 10 I think could be helpful for anybody who is communicating, whether directly with their words or through their fingertips to anyone else. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. Now, the last part of the phrase is speaking about the the youth growing up who would experience corporal punishment or discipline from parents. A rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. This is not talking about abuse of the innocent. This is talking about the stern correction of the fool, the rebel, who doesn't want to follow wisdom or authority and whose rebellion brings consequences, discipline, and judgment. This is picturing the fact that obstinance and hard-heartedness is a failure to recognize the heinousness of sin and the wages of sin is death. And so parental discipline is one of those areas in the book of Proverbs that helps to try to communicate to the fool how horrible sin is and how heavy the consequences of sin can be. The image then is of the need for discipline and training and yet the fool 
The fool, in their obstinance and hard-heartedness, refuses to conform, refuses to submit, wants to go their own way. And in doing so, the fool becomes a danger to themselves and a harm to others because their heart toward God and their heart toward their neighbor is not what it ought to be. In verse 14, the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings, near, brings a ruin near. Laying up knowledge is what we do. You know what this, this makes me uh, think of is the picture of storing up food. If you knew of the realities and scope of a horrible famine, and, and you knew that you could store up food for you and your family and for others to eat, you would be able to store up so that at the right time you would be able to eat what you've stored up. In fact, let's put it this way. You can't eat what you didn't store up. You can't eat what you didn't store up. How does this apply to verse 14? You can't live out what you didn't store up. You can't apply what you didn't store up. The wise lay up knowledge. Like food in a famine being stored up so that you and others could eat and be nourished and be sustained. The wise want wisdom from the word of God and with the people of God. And they want to take it to heart. They want to store it up because you can't live out what you haven't stored up. And if in our hearts what's naturally present is foolishness and rebellion... You don't want to live out having stored that up. We want the word and wisdom. The wise desire to store up wisdom in their heart. In other words, they listen, they learn, they process, they reflect, they seek to apply, they invite the counsel of others. The fool won't listen because all the fool wants to do is share what he has to say or what she has to say. The mouth of the fool brings ruin near. The instruction of the fool can't be trusted. The fool is speaking out of their own darkened and non-God-fearing heart. The words of the fool don't help other people and certainly don't help themselves. The fool rushes headlong into ruin and bring destruction. When I think about Proverbs 10 and verses 6 through 14, I'm reminded of words of Paul in Colossians to the Christians. I want you to listen to Paul's language about the old life apart from knowing Christ and the new life we have in him and the language about putting off and putting on. Paul says we ought to put off anger, malice, wrath, slander, and obscene talk. All of those things have a mouth component to them that originate out of the heart, but are often expressed in our mouth and words. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. He goes on to say to the Colossians, and don't lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self. You see, that, that belongs to a life that didn't know God and fear God. A life that had a heart not toward neighbor as it should have been. But now in Christ, all things are new. And he says in Colossians 3, put on as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. I'm not saying Paul was drawing from Proverbs 10, but I am saying to you, he believed and was consistent with the truth of Proverbs 10. Calling the people of God who know the Lord and who seek to walk in the fear of God to recognize that their speech and their conduct with others reveals whether they're in the darkness or the light. Reveals whether they're committed to an old life or whether they're new in Christ. The life of the fool is the life without Christ. 
In the life of the wise, the wise of Proverbs, the wise of those who know God, this is the life of those who have come to Christ. With all our brokenness and all our sin and all our shortcomings and all our failures, we come to Christ and we say, Lord, you must do in me and through me what I cannot do. And God is so gracious to do it. He's so kind and forbearing, so long-suffering and steadfast in all of his covenant faithfulness. We can trust him with all of our lives to come to him Christ himself is the embodiment of wisdom, living water for us. Let's not turn our hearts away from him. Let's leave behind foolish pursuits, misunderstandings, and acts of deception. Let's look to Christ and our neighbor with hearts of love molded by and shaped by the word that we need to have in our hearts, storing it up, that it might be on our lips, and that it might be in our lives.